Hello, hello. It is Thursday. It's 7 p.m. You know what day it is. I don't need to tell you what day it is, but I am. It's time for the Talk That Talk show with me, Barry Holmes. I hope you all are super excited because I really, I couldn't wait here to get on the mic. Um, I, I really just look forward to this each and every week. I know it's sounding like a broken record, but this show really means a lot to me. Um, to just see the, the amount of people that tune in each and every week, to see the loyal listeners. You're the reason why I get up in the morning and, and start to create things for this show. Um, you know, for, for all my friends and family out there, um, I just want to keep pushing with this project. Um, if you're a new listener or a new subscriber, I appreciate you immensely. Um, this Talk That Talk show has uh, it's become more than just a sports show, right? Um, I, I have made it my mission, or it is my ultimate goal to continue to provide you all a quality, quality podcast with tons of content that you can talk to your friends about. You can hit me up on Facebook or hit me up on Instagram at bhomes45. Tweet me at bho732. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Let me know about some topics that you want to hear about. Because this show, Talk That Talk show, is all about giving the people what they want. And then also giving, giving and having the right facts to back up what it is that you believe in. Um, one of the things that I, I had the opportunity to do today um, was after we had pre-service at my full-time job at Playworks. And what we do is, you know, we have a, a week-long training where we train, you know, the new hirees to, to show them how to do things, right? And, you know, we talk about our core values as far, far as having respect, inclusion, healthy community, and healthy play. And when you start to see those things and you really truly believe in those things and instill those values, you know, it really starts to bleed into your, your, your uh, personal life. And I had that experience today where, you know, after work was over, we got to play. You know, uh, everybody had left to went, go home, but a couple of us stayed after to play some basketball. And we wound up staying and playing for about a good hour and a half, two hours. And it was some really good competition, man, to just go out there and play basketball and, and go hard. I mean, my shirt was drenched. My shorts were soaked. It looked like I just went in the pool. But, you know, it's that competitive nature and, and that type of, you know, activity that creates team building and creates that trust, you know, with the people around you. And I just truly appreciated the fact, uh, and shout out to Pete, because Pete was guarding me, and, and in our group chat, we always talk about how I'm a, a matchup nightmare, right? And, you know, with me being able to, to guard bigs in the post, um, you know, Pete's a, a big guy, and we were just going at it for the entire time, you know, just, just really just fighting in the post, boxing out, and I appreciated the fact that he pushed me, Right. I in a lot of times when I play at LA Fitness or I go to the parks, you know, I can just go out and just get buckets. You know, my nickname is Barry Buckets, but you know, he really made me work today and, and it just really makes me think about, you know, you just have to keep people around you that are gonna push you to be better. You know, not just in basketball, uh, but just also in your personal life, man. If you have friends that aren't around you to try and make you a better person, then you know, you gotta look at your friends and say, hey, you know, what's up? 
So I really, truly appreciated Pete today for going in after work where we didn't have to be there. I didn't have to be there. But we just pushed each other to get better and be better basketball players. And, you know, I really appreciated that. My feet hurt. <laughs> My knees hurt a little bit. But, um, you know, it was it's that competitive nature and that hard work and that surrounding yourself around people that are going to push you to be greater that you know, symbolize this show. Uh, you all push me to be a better podcaster each and every week. Uh, my friends and family push me to be a better podcaster each and every week by giving me authentic feedback because how else are you going to get better if people just fluff you, right? So I appreciate everybody out there listening and tuning in. Continue to give me real feedback. Let me know how you think the show is because I'm constantly trying to make it better. So thank you for tuning in. You can always check out our full episodes at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, and any major streaming platform as far as, you know, this podcasting goes. You know, I'm a podcaster, and we're just going to get right on into this show. Um, this is actually a good shout-out to Augito Torres, who's been one of our recent, um, you know, loyal listeners. And the thing that I appreciated about him and he asked me for was the fact that he wanted some MMA. He said he wanted to see some MMA coverage on the show. And, you know, I had already had it in my, you know, plan to try and come with a show to have an MMA show. But um, today I'm going to talk about UFC 241 because if you didn't get a chance to see that fight card, um, I'm always one that says that boxing is better than UFC. You know, I, I just truly believe in the sweet science of boxing, and I think it's uh, you know, the best contact sport. But um, last Saturday with that UFC 241, you know, that was one of the best fight cards that I've seen top to bottom. Top to bottom, it was it was just exciting. Uh, uh, um, uh, we had a fight party at my, my boy Antoine's house. Shout out to you, Antoine. Everybody had a lot of fun at that fight party. But, you know, this has been one of the best fight cards that I saw in recent history. When you started the, the, the very first fight with Derek Brunson and Ian he Heinish, um, it was just a war of attrition. You know, those two guys were definitely tired out. They looked like they punched themselves, you know, out of, um, as far as endurance-wise. But, you know, Derek Brunson showed that he was the, the, the bigger man that could withstand all the damage. I mean, both guys were getting their licks in and both, you know, guys are getting their shots in, but, you know, Derek Brunson's an intriguing contender, man. He's somebody that has shown he has a chin because he took a lot of shots, but, you know, I, I look for him to get his defense up because, you know, when you start to work up the rankings, uh, he's not going to be able to sustain that damage without falling out, man. Um, just look at Anderson Silva when he, uh, thought he was invincible and he's, you know, blocking behind his back. He got put. So you can never underestimate people, but uh, Rick, uh, Derek Brunson definitely showed me some. The next fight on that fight card, Gabriel Benitez versus Sadiq Youssef. Um, that was an interesting fight because there was a lot of people that have been hyping up Sadiq Youssef, you know, saying this guy can't be beat. Um, he's, you know, the next sensation coming out of Africa. And if you saw that fight, he got hit with a punch that, you know, knocked him for a second. He literally fell to the ground, but he recovered from that and was able to take out Gabriel. Um, he showed me something as far as, you know, when you see these guys that get knocked out in UFC and they have, you know, big hits to the face and fall on the on the, uh, the mat, most of them don't get up. Most of them do not get up. And 
what he showed me is the fact that he can take some damage and give some damage, devastating damage himself. So Sadiq Yusuf, somebody we're going to have to look for in some of the upcoming UFC events. And I definitely enjoy seeing him fight. He's a, he's a quick guy, um, has a lot of different strikes, and I'm looking forward to seeing him fight again. Um, this one, I have to give a shout-out to my boy Darius. Dr. Glex had it right because he said that Paulo Costa – don't sleep on him. He said he I know the soldier of God is, you know, uh, somebody that looks to be unstoppable. He looks like a, a superhuman. But Paulo Costa was just as big as Yola Romero. My boy Jeff was about to put in a parlay, uh, you know, betting on Romero. But luckily he didn't put that bet in because Paulo Costa took that fight. And Yola Romero had plenty of chances to win that fight. You know, he had plenty of chance. There was one time where he hit him, I think, with a straight jab or a right hook, and Paulo Costa was off the, the uh, wall, but he didn't try and attack him. That whole fight, every time Romero got hit, he would stick his tongue out, right? And it just speaks to what UFC is trying to go away from. Um, when you have a situation where Yo Yoel Romero was taunting consistently the entire fight, you know, judges don't like that. And for as well as Romero fought in that fight, it's very interesting that the fact that when it went to decision, it was a unanimous decision that Paulo Costa won that fight. Now, I believe Costa didn't win that fight definitively, but Yoel Romero definitely hurt his own cause by doing all the different uh, taunts that he does, man. Uh, I think it's, I I'm somebody that believes and you got to show and prove, you know, let your work speak for itself. And you don't have to do that taunting if you knock the dude out, right? So uh, for Romero, I hope this is a true reality check to him that you just can't walk out and beat somebody. This is the UFC. This is arguably the best fighters in all of the world. So, you know, there's no time to waste. There's no time to stick, ah, stick your tongue out at people. There's no time to be taunting. If you got a guy on the ropes, knock him out. Stop playing, man. Knock him out because Yoel Romero cost himself a, a win there. Um, and then for the next fight, uh, Anthony Pettis versus Nate Diaz. Um, I was a little surprised. I thought Nate Diaz had lost it, but, you know, I'm very disappointed in Anthony Pettis. Um, he's a guy who has, you know, a lot of creative strikes, can hit you with the, the kicks, but he didn't really give much damage to Nate Diaz, man. Nate Diaz controlled the fight. And he closed the distance. And that's what you got to do with these, you know, lightning fast kickers and people that can get you in, in submissions. You, you know, you you close the distance, you get them, you know, punish them. And that's what Nate Diaz did. So I, I, I wonder if Nate Diaz, you know, is going to get a, a chance at, you know, a little bit higher of a, of a fight. I know Anthony Pettis was a top 10 guy, but he was at the bottom half of that top 10. So... You know, let's see what Nate Diaz can do. I know he has over, you know, 10 losses. So he is a guy that, you know, wins, but he also loses well, too. So maybe this win over Anthony Pettis can, you know, catapult him up there. Because I know I don't even think he had fought in about three years before this fight, too. So, you know, let's see if that re revitalizes his fight career. And then finally, oh, this was the one that uh, definitely made me... Uh, very disappointed because Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic. <sighs> Daniel Cormier was winning that fight for most of the fight. He uh, 
He was he he was uh, walking Miocic down. Miocic had no downtime. Uh, a lot of the times, Daniel Cormier wasn't even blocking, and, and that's ridiculous, man. And I think that the pace that Daniel Cormier fought that fight with constantly walking Miocic down and just giving him devastation, it just took away from his endurance and it took away from his stamina. Because in the later round, it was in the I think it was the fourth round, Stipe Miocic made the great adjustment of hitting him with the body shots. And when he hit him with those body shots, you see that each one started to make Daniel Cormier fold until he looked like a, a, a fly on the... <laughs> On the wall, man. He got he got pulverized. And that just shows you how much endurance that it takes and how unpredictable these UFC fights are. You know, you could be winning a fight for most of the round, but if you get a, a, a devastating power punch or a devastating kick to the face, that's going to end your night. And, and that's why you have to watch all these fights. And, it's, and no win is a sure win. Because I thought Daniel Cormier was going to win that fight. But, you know, shout out to Stipe Miocic. He's the new heavyweight champion. Um, but DC, the, the question after that is, you know, is DC going to retire? Um, I believe that the fight that everybody wants to see, which was Daniel Cormier versus John Jones 3, that's not happening anymore. John Jones doesn't want to fight him. He doesn't think he's in the same caliber. Um, Daniel Cormier now... Now after he's lost the belt, he's going to have to try and fight his way back up the ladder again to get a championship. And at age 40, I just don't know that he can gain the belt again. I mean, does he have the time and, you know, does he want to train that hard? Because when you saw him at that Miocic fight, you know, he looked overweight. He did look like he wasn't as in shape. And I think that ultimately is what made DC fold, man. Uh, Miocic is no slouch. Miocic is no slouch. And yes, Shout out to John Zapata. We are talking fighting now. This guy is a, a mixed martial artist himself. Maybe we'll have to have you come on the show, bro. But, you know, we're diversifying here, man. We, we're talking fights. And I think that DC should retire, man, because at age 40, does he want to go up the ladder again? I, I, just, I, I just don't see it, man. I don't see it. Uh, I think we saw the last fight of one of the, the best fighters in our recent history. So it, it definitely did make me sad to see DC lose because it, it, it speaks to the, the um, how could I say, the inevitability now, right? I think it's inevitable that we see that Daniel Cormier retires because, you know, we might have another mellow situation. where, And we're going to talk about that later on in the show. But, um, you know, you don't want to get to a point where you start to mess or mess with your legacy and I feel like with Daniel Cormier losing you know to John Bones Jones and now to Miocic a guy that he beat before um don't don't mess with your legacy anymore man you will still go down as one of the greatest in UFC but this is the problem with most fighters man they don't know when to put up the gloves you know but um yeah that's that's gonna do it for our UFC portion um I'm definitely going to look to to add some more UFC uh content in for our, you know, our fight fans out there. And we're just going to continue on with this show here. So shout out to John Zapata for su tuning in. I'm really happy that you did because I know how big you are and good luck good luck in your next fight, man. Good luck to you. And, you know, now that we're switching off of the the fighting topic here, I got to get into one of the things that makes me so happy around this time. Um, I was very sad because I know the summer is coming to a close. 
I love the beach. Um, I love getting out in the sun. I love everything about summer. And one of the things that makes me happy going into September, going into the fall, is that we have college football back. Aren't you happy? Aren't y'all happy out there? Saturdays are no longer just baseball days, right? We have college football coming back. And I want to, you know, for those people that don't know about, you know, the top 10 or, or what, what are the top teams coming in, uh, I have the top 10 here for you. This is the preseason uh, This is the preseason AP top 25. I'm only going to give you the top 10 for right now. But at 10, we have Texas. Um, you know, Texas is good. They always started out big, but I, I don't see them doing much this year. Um, you have Notre Dame at number nine. Another people, you know, everybody loves them. They're America's team. They play on NBC. They play a bunch of people that, that nobody cares about, like Ball State. I need them to get their schedule up because, you know, at number nine, this is where they start and this is where they might finish if they don't finish out of the top ten because each year they do well, but when it comes down to, to beat the teams they're supposed to, they don't. And it comes to Florida at number eight. You know, that that uh, we're going to talk about them later on in this segment, but Florida's coming in at number eight. And with Dan Mullins, when he had that 10-3 and season last uh, season for them coming from Mississippi State, you know, he brought swagger back to the to the Gators, man. Um, it's live in Gainesville. You look at those home games, and they think they can win. They believe they can win. And that that's one of the teams that I'm looking for to climb the ladder. Um, at number seven, we have Michigan. You know, they're perennially, you know, in it. Um, they're well coached with Harbaugh. Um, I just got to see them beat Ohio State. Um, I, I think that if they can't beat Ohio State, then they, they don't really have a shot at the Big Ten because that's, you know, that's the top of the food chain, man. So, you know, they got to beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. And then also they got to steal some because, you know, mi people love Michigan, but Michigan doesn't always have that success that they had. I mean, they haven't really been too big since, uh, what, Denard Robinson or haven't won a chip since, uh, what, Charles Woodson? So let's see what they do. Um, LSU is at number six. I like this. Uh, LSU has shown that they can beat high-caliber teams. And, you know, when you're in the SEC, you're no slouch, man. So I think LSU can climb. You have Ohio State at number five. You know, that Big Ten is packed. You got a lot of teams in the top five, I mean, top 25 in the Big Ten. So it's going to be tough, man. Um, at number four, we have Oklahoma. You know, they do lose Kyler Murray. But you can see that that system works. You know, that Bob Stoop system in Oklahoma works. So I'm not really concerned as to who's going to play quarterback because they have the right pieces around them. They just need to stay healthy. Then you have number three at Georgia. Everybody expects them to win the SEC. I, I, I'll jump on the train, too. Um, I know a lot of people like Alabama, but I think Georgia has some retribution, man. They, they have something to prove, and this might be the year for them. We have Alabama at number two. You know what Alabama can do. You know who's coaching them, Nick Saban. No surprise. And then you have Clemson, who's the only team in the ACC in the top 10. Um, you only have two teams from the ACC in the top 25, where you have Clemson and also Syracuse in the bottom uh, 25. But uh, I think this is a little disrespectful, um, especially to Virginia Tech, because you know that defense with Bud Foster is one of the hardest-hitting teams, man. Uh, we... We were in it for most of the, the game against Clemson last year. Um, I think that a lot of people sleep on Virginia Tech every single year. 
They're my favorite team in college football. I love Bud Foster, the way he has that defense ramped up, blitz heavy. Um, it, it's just tough, man, because the rest of the surrounding teams in the ACC are kind of weak. And when you don't have that strength of schedule, you know, that really plays into your rankings. So um, I think that we're definitely going to have a great college football season coming up. Um, I'm super excited for Saturday, and I definitely want to talk about that because that's actually our first matchup in college football. We have Miami versus Florida. Miami versus Florida. They're playing this game in Orlando. They're not playing at uh, Gainesville. You know, they're not playing down where Miami plays at, where the Dolphins are at. They're playing this in Orlando. It's going to be a neutral Florida site. And when you look at the numbers, Miami has won seven of the last eight meetings. They've won seven of the last eight meetings going into 1986. So since 1986, Miami has owned this matchup. Miami actually won the last matchup 21-16 to back in 2013. And the irony behind that is that Miami was unranked again like they are this year, and Florida was ranked. So if history repeats itself or if, if we follow trends here, one would say that Miami's going to win this game. But I'm going to tell you that Florida is going to win this game. If you have any type of, you know, put some money down, I'm telling you some in advance. Florida is going to break the trend. Because Felipe Franks had one of his best seasons as a quarterback for Florida since Tim Tebow, and he's coming back. You have a defense that's revamped. Uh, Dan Mullins has them playing excellent football on the defensive end. They've made vast improvements both in the turnover margin and in the sack range. So those are two things that defenses crave. These are things that feed they feed off of. And I think that this is going to give uh, Florida that edge. Uh, Miami, they're coming in unranked. I know they're always um, a tough opponent, especially in these Florida matchups. But, you know, if I have to, to, to give any type of edge, I got to give it to Florida. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm super, very mega excited that college football is back. Um, if you tune in next week, we're actually going to have a, a college football special where we're going to be going in, and I'm going to have a guest on the show. I know you all like me having guests on the show. I'm going to have a, a, a guy who loves college football just as much as me. I'm not going to tell you who that is, but we're going to have another great one lined up for you. So if you like this college football segment, you should definitely tune in next week because we're going to have a whole bunch of college football talk, and it's going to be awesome. All right? And then we're going to move into our fan portion here where – you know, I have questions from, you know, fans of the show. And this one comes from my boy Antoine. Shout out to Antoine. He's been kicking my butt in Madden. I'm tight. I got to play you again, bro. But this question's for you. You asked me, will Lamar Jackson have a good year throwing the football? And this is a big question because with our fantasy football drafts coming up, uh, there's a lot of different drafting strategies. And Lamar Jackson has been a name that's you know constantly in the, the bubble range as far as do you want to pick him? Do you want to invest your your pick or your top picks in Lamar Jackson? And, and let's just go by the numbers. And I like to start from the beginning, right, to tell the entire story. And at three years in Louisville, he threw for 9,043 yards, 69 touchdowns, and 27 interceptions for a 57% completion percentage. 
These are not bad throwing numbers when he actually was requested to throw the football. Louisville had one of the best offenses. And when you look at last season, however, he only attempted 170 passes for 1,201 yards, six touchdowns, and three interceptions, right? So in the sample size that we've gotten from him in professional play in the, in the NFL, you know, I can't even really say that we've seen much, right? I mean, 170 passes isn't a lot of passes when you think about it. I mean, you look at Aaron Rodgers or you look at uh, Drew Brees, and they're out there throwing 40 to 50 passes in the game. Phillip Rivers is another one. So this is not – they. Um, Harbaugh did not give him the keys to the castle last year. You know, you had a Flacco, you had Lamar Jackson. So coming into preseason, they were both splitting those reps, right? Lamar Jackson was a rookie. He wasn't getting those first-team reps. Well, now you're coming into a preseason where Lamar Jackson gets a full preseason with the first team with reps to try and get that offense back, right? To try and get that confidence in throwing the football, because I know at the professional level, a lot of people are scared to throw the ball down the middle, and they're afraid to throw it deep. And those are things that Lamar Jackson has proven that he can do at the collegiate level. But I think that it's important that the team has come out and saying that, hey, we are going to make a more concerted effort to let Lamar Jackson throw the football. And I think that that's going to be big for the Ravens because when you see the style of play that they play with, which is just super rush heavy, um, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for winning. I mean, when's the last time that we saw a team that just runs the ball as much as they die? I mean, maybe uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back when we were kids. But um, it just doesn't translate to Super Bowl success, right? And when you look at Lamar Jackson, who rushed the ball for 147 yards, I mean, 147 attempts, I mean, that's 23 less attempts than passes that he had. So I just don't think that the Ravens are going to uh, allow him to run the ball as much. Um, I think that they're going to try and keep him active. Um, when you look at his weapons, they're a little bit questionable with Willie Sneed, Seth Roberts, and a rookie in Hollywood Brown. So... You know, the weapons aren't exactly, they're not sexy. It's not um, It's not like they blow your mind away or blow the doors off you. I'm not super mega worried about, you know, these guys when you line up against them. But I think that there are guys within the system that can help Lamar Jackson be good. These are all guys that have speed. They can run nice drag routes, nice slant routes, and can help him off, you know, to pick up the blitz and, and, and run those hot reads and run those hot routes to make Lamar Jackson have a person to throw to. I think that's the hardest thing to do when you're a quarterback going out there and you have receivers that don't get separation. So if I'm looking to see if Lamar Jackson is going to have a good year throwing the football, I have to look at the people that he's throwing to. And, and, and it just doesn't blow my mind or I'm not like wow look at the Ravens receivers and I might be wrong for underestimating him but like I said I'm somebody that believes in seeing first seeing to believe and, and I think that with realistic expectations and if you run the system that allows Lamar Jackson to be special I think he will have a good year throwing the football you know throwing some RPO stuff to make him comfortable uh you know keep keep the throws short uh add some play action in there right these are all things that help out a passing game, and I think that will really help Lamar Jackson to be the quarterback that we all think that he can be. And then this question is actually a question that just came in 
Uh, shout out to Henry Apia. Um, he had a great question here. And his question is, is Antonio, Bra is Antonio Brown a problem? And how do his teammates react on and off the field? And this is something that when, when we are uh, on the – the receiving end of what we see as far as, you know, NFL, it's only a fraction, only a small fraction of what really goes on in that, you know, that locker room and within that organization. So, you know, with us seeing this helmet issue from Antonio Brown, I can only imagine the other stuff that he's complained about to different organizations and to the Steelers and maybe the, the uh, you know, the, um, the Raiders who he's just on right now. But, I just, he had a tough relationship with Ben Roethlisberger. That really went sour. And you saw that took a toll on the team. And when you have a guy who, who challenges people as much as Antonio Brown does, you know, he went to this Raiders organization seeking to be the sole man. And if that doesn't give you any type of idea as to who Antonio Brown is, I mean, is he a problem? Uh I don't know exactly if he's a problem. Is he full of himself? Absolutely. If anybody has got a chance to see Hard Knocks, go check that out because he's somebody that constantly wants attention around him. There's a preseason game going on, and he's talking about the flavor of Gatorade that he has. Um, they're talking about how the offense is going, and he's talking about how he, there better be a lot of stuff heavy on him as far as his usage. And that just speaks to the type of player that Antonio Brown is. Do you want somebody that wants to make plays? Absolutely. This man is a playmaking machine. I mean, how many years has he caught touchdowns? How many years has he taken the Steelers and put him in on his back and made those key catches on third down, fourth down? And I think it's unfair for us to, in a way, put a... a to put a, a characteristic on this guy without having the full story. But, you know, we're people, we're humans, and we have first impressions. And off my first impressions, you know, I just see Antonio Brown as a person that needs to have everything around him. He needs to have uh, all attention, the whole offense, everything centered around him. And is that really conducive to, to success? I mean, is he going to make other guys work harder? How can he make guys work harder when he's not even working in practice because he was complaining about a helmet? When you have your GM, your general manager, who has to come out with a statement saying, are you all in or all out, you know, that 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 is a problem. That's a problem. And it, and it, it hurts the guys in, in the locker room because they're looking to you as the leader and and you're not helping them. We talk about leading by example, and this is something that I think that Antonio Brown can work on, man. It's more than just catching footballs and working extremely hard. There's a reason why people rally behind Tom Brady, because he's an excellent leader, right? Is Antonio Brown a leader? I don't know. Is he a problem? I don't know. But what the facts are telling me here are based off of my first impressions of what Antonio Brown has shown me right? I have to say he, he might be a problem, right? Um, is he going to catch touchdown passes? Absolutely. He's going to help Derek Carr. Is he going to get a thousand yards? Absolutely. He's Antonio Brown. That's what he does. But when I look at this and I look at this question, you know, from what I see on hard knocks, 
they all gravitate toward the guy. He's somebody that people look up to. Antonio Brown is somebody that these teammates want to talk to. They want to jog his brain about. But I am just very um, pessimistic about the Raiders' success with Antonio Brown. Um, I think that they had extreme defensive issues, especially with leaving, uh, losing Khalil Mack, where they just let walk. Um, you lost Amari Cooper, who was your, your star wide receiver. And he Antonio Brown is going to see that without Juju Smith or like he had in the past, Emmanuel Sanders, without that other person on the sideline to help you out, I mean, he's going to be seeing some tough, tight coverage. And will he succeed? Yes. But I just don't think he's going to have the same success that a lot of people are accustomed to seeing. So um, is he a problem? Yes, he might be a problem. I might have to put him in that category. And, you know, his his teammates, they react to him well. They they respond to him. I mean, John Gruden loves the guy. He couldn't stop talking about him on Hard Knocks. But, you know, we just got to see how the NFL season shakes out, man. I, I, I will never wish wrong or never wish bad on a guy. I mean, I, I hope Antonio Brown proves all the haters wrong, but... You know, he just has to work on his leadership skills, man. I mean, this is this is the prime time. This is when you're supposed to, you know, gain that trust and gain those relationships with your quarterback and the people around you. And, you know, all, a lot of time's been spent on this helmet issue, man. And, you know, just it just doesn't make me optimistic at all. So, you know, thank you for that question, Henry. That was a great one. And then finally, um, definitely going to talk about this because I, I, I love this guy, man. He... Every interview that I've done with him in the locker room and anytime I got a chance to talk to him, he was a stand-up guy. Um, people are painting a, a, a bad picture. And from what, you know, the quote is, is that, you know, people are smearing his name in the NBA. And that makes me very sad. Um, but let's go back to it. You know, Carmelo Anthony got released by the Rockets last season. And he hasn't really gotten any calls past that. This guy's a 10-time NBA All-Star and a 6-time All-NBA player. If you're telling me that Carmelo Anthony can't help an NBA franchise, you are out of your mind. And you're being un- I mean you're being biased. Um because Carmelo Anthony <clears throat> in the last time that he had a full-time service job back in 2017-18 in 32 minutes, he averaged 16 points a game. Now, I know that that's not impressive because he's averaged over 20 points a game for most of his career. But like I said, he, he's at 35 years old right now. If he thinks that he can play 32 minutes at this stage in the game, it's just not happening. And a lot of people thought that Carmelo Anthony was going to go to the Lakers. They thought he was, you know, big boys with LeBron James. But I guess let's see how really good of a boy he is with LeBron James because LeBron James ain't been hitting him up to go to the L.A., you know, we haven't seen uh, L.A. reach out to him and say, hey, we need this guy on our team. They signed Jared Dudley. They signed Jared Dudley without even giving an inkling of thought to Carmelo Anthony. And I just think that this it's a, it's a terrible situation because I think Carmelo Anthony, he, he put up. My mom always says you never get a, a, a second chance to make a first impression. And I think that when Carmelo Anthony was experiencing the, the issues and turmoil that he did in New York, you know, the first thing that he said is like, I will never come off the bench. You know, I'm not a bench player. I'm a starter. And I think that still has resonated in people's minds and in, in these uh, organizations' minds. And 
as far as the style of play, you know, not a lot of people want to see Melo go ISO for a mid-range shot, right? They don't want to see him hold the ball for 10 seconds and, and shoot a turnaround fadeaway jumper for a two. Everybody's shooting the three. Everybody's moving at an extremely high pace. The game of the NBA has changed in just two years. In 2017-18, he was still somewhat respectable, right? It's not that far away. Car it's not like Carmelo Anthony uh, took a picture with that app and t suddenly got old. That he still can play. But I think that he has just put in and implanted in people's minds just such a negative thing as far as not wanting to come off the bench that a lot of teams are not willing to invest in not just Carmelo Anthony, but keep it, the job of keeping Carmelo Anthony happy. Because we see what happens when Melo is not happy. Melo's another guy that wants you know everything on him, and t the t the the teams are not ready. Their teams do not want to make him the franchise guy. It's too late. He's old, but he's not old to the fact that he's ineffective. All he has to do is just assume that bench role, which I believe that he he said that he would. I mean, all he wants to do is just play, but. It just speaks to just how important it is to to make the right impressions and to say the right things because people don't forget. And I feel that a lot of people have not forgot what he said. And, you know, if he had a 15 to 20 minute a night, especially in the playoffs, he could be useful. I think he could be on an NBA team and he could help out an NBA team. But. A lot of people just don't want the circus that comes with Carmelo Anthony. Um, it's sad. Uh, I wish he was still playing. I, I, I love watching him play for the Knicks, and I only want the best for him. But, you know, things look very bleak for Carmelo Anthony. I just don't see him signing with a team. I think that we've seen the end of his career. Um, I, I do hope that at some point he signs that one-day contract with the Knicks so that he can retire in Nick because, you know, for so much of my life as a kid, uh, you know, nobody gave us respect or nobody said that the Knicks were anything. I saw a lot of losing basketball. Uh, I took a lot of jokes in middle school, high school, and, and to see Carmelo Anthony take my team to a place that we had never been, you know, never been in, the, in decades, you know, you got to respect Carmelo Anthony. And I just... I just hope that, you know, if he doesn't find an amiable situation in the NBA, they just finds it in him to just bow out gracefully. Because at this point, um, like I said before with the Daniel Cormier thing, you know, I just hope that he doesn't tarnish his legacy. You know, still trying to, to just, you know, lace him up. I, I think that Carmelo Anthony is one of the best players in our generation. Um, he's somebody that, you know, is an offensive talent that we haven't really seen before. He created this unique um, just isolation game, man. And, you know, if you say that Carmelo Anthony doesn't have a stake in the, you know, the NBA culture or, you know, doesn't have his place in, in history, then you're out of your mind. But, you know, I, I do think that in a way Carmelo Anthony is being blackballed by the league. And um, we're just going to have to see how things go if he gets signed to another team or – if we've seen the last of Carmelo Anthony. Um, it's just tough, man, because I really liked Carmelo, man. He's one of my favorite Knicks of all time. And, you know, that kind of segues to the end of our show. 
Um, we had a lot of content for you today, covered a lot of different things. Um, I definitely want to give a shout out to our people on our Facebook live stream. Shout out to Clifton Prescott. If you ever need photos, this guy is the guy to go to, man. Keep grinding, bro. Um, shout out to Andy Castaldo. Uh, awesome dude. Shout out to my boy Kevin Rosa. He's always uh, hungry for another episode, so I I'm glad you tuned in. Shout out to our boy Lucas Leandro. Um, good luck to you in the Elite Bowling Series for uh, Bolero. Um, excellent bowler. Awesome dude. Shout out to our boy Quentin McDuffie. Uh, great basketball player. I know you're doing big things out there. I appreciate you, man. And then also shout out to Naya Santiago. Uh, we played we played a lot of basketball today, and um, you know you definitely were out there hitting shots, and it made it fun to play with. So I, I definitely thank you for staying after and playing some ball with us. And you can always check out our full length episodes at Buzzsprout, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any major streaming platform. We got uh, a couple videos for you on YouTube. Hashtag Talk That Talk Show. If you ever want to reach out to me, you can tweet me at BHO732. Hit me up on Instagram at bholmes45. Uh, you got multiple avenues to try and reach me. Uh, let me know what you want to hear about on the show. Let me know how you think of the show because I appreciate it all. Um, you have to be open to, to feedback and you have to be open to getting better to get better. A lot of people don't want to get better because they're comfortable and, you know, I'm just comfortable with being uncomfortable constantly, if that makes sense. You know, I, I'm constantly trying to get better at anything that I do. Um, and it's a great quality to have. So, you know, if anything that you take away from this show, just uh, continue to be resilient, continue to follow your dreams and just work hard. You know, even though you may think that someone's not uh, noticing the work that you're doing, or if you feel like you're just mentally or physically exhausted, just try to think about the things that make you go, right? Things that make you wake up or the things that, you know, you can't live without, right? Um, I can't live without this podcast at this point right now because it's become such a huge part of my life. You know, I can't live without my family, you know, and I can't live without, you know, sports in general. These are a lot of things that just make me happy. Uh, I can't live without the impact that I make on a daily basis. You know, to know that you have hundreds or, you know, hundreds of people, adults and uh, children that depend on you. Um, it's a great responsibility to have. And, you know, I just want to continue to resonate positive, positive energy. And hopefully you enjoyed this show. Um, this is the Talk That Talk show. We're going to continue to be here every Thursday, 7 p.m. I think we actually only have a couple more weeks of this at the Thursday 7 o'clock slot because we're going to actually move out of our summer schedule and back into regular schedule programming. So uh, stay tuned in. I'm going to update you all on the schedule continuously, but the next episode will be Thursday at 7 p.m. summer schedule. I love you all. Thank you for tuning in. We had an excellent show, and we got to give a special shout-out to our sponsors before we head off the air. Shout-out to VW Liquors located in Wick Plaza. Let's go, Mets! Let's go, Mets. We always do that for Dave at the end of the show. Shout out to Executive Bar and Restaurant located in 30 Menu Street, Carteret, New Jersey. Then shout out to 91s.com. Cody Bromley's got the best acid wash line in the game. Go check him out. 
Me and my father about to go watch this Mets game right now. It's 0-0 going into the top of the third. Um, if you're a Mets fan, you got to be happy about what's going on right now. We're 66-60, and 60, a game and a half out of the wild card. Keep watching, Mets fans, because we're going to the playoffs. You got to believe. You got to believe. And with that, I am out of here. Thank you again for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. Ha-ha, we are out.